Okay, friends, listen, you're used by now, you're quite used to uh, the Jack of All Grades format. Yes. What will generally happen, as you know, uh, is we'll start with uh, either Corey or myself chatting about a, a nasty or a fucked up or a weird event or circumstance from around the globe. That'll segue into us chatting a little bit about what we've watched during the week. And then we'll just kind of ease into another topic or two, depending on how time allows. But this week, this week on a very special episode of Jack of All Graves, we are eschewing the format completely. We are fucking cutting all that loose because we are delighted and fortunate this week to have uh, a guest with us, uh, a guest who... Look, I'm calling it a kind of a, a land grab at legitimacy, right, for this fucking podcast. <laughs> this week on Jack of All Graves, we are privileged to welcome uh, Dr. Ben Duffin-Jones to the cast, uh, who is a forensic psychiatrist working out of South Wales. Ben, a massive, massive welcome uh, to Jack of All Graves. Ah, thank you very much both. Uh, cheers for having me. Now, um, Forensic psychiatry and your area of work is, we're just going to dive right into it. I mean, it, it couldn't okay. be more JOAG adjacent. I mean, we are now, we've been going for what, two years, Corey? Yeah, a little over two years. We've been going for two years. And during that two years, I mean, just like any other podcast with a, a tendency to talk about the dark and the weird and the unusual and the the kind of the, the disturbing, we've brushed up against topics of mental illness, topics of murder, topics of... You know, what happens when when the fucking, when the psyche goes wrong and what impact it can have on communities, on individuals, on families. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to have you on here to talk with firsthand experience, with, with actual firsthand kind of uh, experience of, of, of what that actually looks like. Could you start us off, Ben, if you don't mind, by maybe explaining to us a little bit about what that term forensic psychiatry what does it actually entail describe your field of work for us okay so um forensic psychiatry is one of the sort of sub-genres uh, if you will of yeah. psychiatry so i i went to medical school um and i i really can't imagine how i've ended up really at the, in this particular odd corner of medicine i always imagined that i'd probably wind up working in a GP surgery, um, yeah. telling people that they needed to go home and take paracetamol and their cold would go away. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I did medical school, came out through the end of it. Um, along that path, uh, discovered um, the treatment of mental health and that uh, something that I didn't really actually, when I first went in there, think was particularly within the medical umbrella, um, I've just found it fascinating when I was when I was in my first year I got to do a placement on a forensic psychiatry ward as sort of a, a day out in something you might be interested um, and I spent the day in Whitchurch Hospital and um, really weirdly met a bunch of patients who are now actually my patients and <laughs> they consultants wow. some some, oh, 20, wow. some 20 odd years on or whatever um, yeah so so basically I mean psychiatry obviously it, it, it's working working with mental health difficulties and, and and as the doctor within that team you're sort of aligned in a way to understand um the nature of the conditions the treatment of it through sort of um psychopharmacological uh, methods yeah but also at the same time you've got enough experience of the other allied professions that work in mental health where you sort of bring that all together 
Um, forensics, more specifically, I mean, you know, the, the phrase itself uh, comes from the, the Greek term um, to the forum, um, which is the way that they used to meet throughout their justice back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. And it basically means that I work with people that are sort of interacting with the criminal justice system on some kind of level or right. that their behaviors are such within the psychiatric uh, world that they would otherwise have found themselves foul of the law, I suppose. Uh -huh. so, so, so that can be anything, really. I mean, it doesn't just necessarily mean um, person A uh, does, a, does a big murder and he was unwell and that's why he did it it could be person a has done a big murder was absolutely fine went to prison and the pressures of prison because i'll be honest with you it's not the nicest place yeah. um, uh, have gotten to him and he's become mentally unwell in prison and may need to come to hospital for a period of assessment and treatment so mm. yeah it, it, it's not it's not just um those that are mentally disturbed at the point of uh, causing a crime it, it it can happen at any point through their arc really in in, in the criminal mm. justice system fascinating, fascinating yeah. so at at, uh, at what level then would would you interact with the the kind of the legal process where where do where does the 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 intersection between you and the investigative process take place where does that occur so in, in terms of the investigative process um we tend more to have a sort of like advisory role um mm -hmm. so 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 if they think that there may be somebody that we know or or, or that there's somebody that's uh, unwell that's been suspected of something they may ask us for advice but um mm -hmm. largely the sort of the more um I, I suppose profiling um element of it is is one of those things that has been sort of not abolished but um they, they don't use it as much anymore because of it, you know, became quite a almost thought crimey kind of situation yeah, yeah, yeah. where, yeah. okay, so you've got a disaffected person of of, of this ethnic origin, white male, who, yeah, 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 white white male who doesn't have any friends and things like that. And unfortunately, it, it did really put people in buckets. And and whilst a lot of it was, you know, fairly spot on, um, there, 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 there was um, there was an element to it where they they sort of became less reliant on us. And I, I suppose my main interactions are. Uh, where somebody has done something um, and then I'll get asked by the court um, to go and see somebody and go, right, it, you know, this person is saying, you know, that they did this because, uh, I don't know, for an example, I suppose, uh, God told them to or um, the, the, the box that lives in the corner of the room was speaking to them and made them do this and then they would get someone like myself to, to, to go along and see whether or not that's legitimate and mm. whether or not they're feigning it or, um, you know, trying to, as, as the phrase goes, play the mental health card for some form of leniency for, for, sure. for what it is that they've done. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the main part. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, the last time I gave evidence in court for a murder trial, I got told off by the judge because I was speaking too quickly. Um, <laughs> obviously, she wasn't from South Wales. So, um... <laughs> I was going to say, it's perfectly understandable. I can't understand why. Thank but... you. Thank you. No, <laughs> I think she was, she was writing down all of her own notes in pen. I would have thought that she had somebody to do that for her. But anyway, there we go. <laughs> um. Oh, go ahead. No, Corey, please. Now I've lost my train of thought. Go ahead. Ben, 
you talk about uh, how common is it then that that offenders, killers specifically, will will do their best to feign mental illness to try that and was actually say, my question. Is, is that is that something that happens often? Um, you 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 do see it. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's that immensely common because largely yeah. the um, the guys that have done serious crimes and things like that and know that they're going to be going away for a fair amount of time to go and yeah. uh, spend their time in Her Majesty. Oh no, her her king's prison. His, his would, it, would, would it be now? I'm, I'm not even yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, his Majesty's prison. That's it. That's one. Um, you know. It's usually not their first time going there. They 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 know the system. Um, prison, I mean, works like clockwork, really. And I th- I think a number of these individuals um, have usually had fairly chaotic existences where you don't know where your next meal's coming from. You don't know whether you're not you're going to be um, shouted at or hurt by those that are meant to be caring for you or something like that. So actually going uh-huh. to a prison where it's very, very structured isn't that daunting a prospect compared mm. to what the rest of your life is. But you uh, sometimes you, you'll get somebody and it, it's usually at the sort of like higher end of the spectrum when you're talking about things like murders and things like that. They may try and get the um, sort of diminished uh, uh, rule in terms of, of of they've done this because they were some some way mentally impaired at the time mm. usually is a way to sort of uh, lessen their sentence or um, probably even on a more personal level um, to, to reduce their responsibility in, yeah. in, in, in an act I mean the thing I'd say about it though I mean if, if you're trying to fake, psychosis if you if Mm. you're trying to sort of pretend that you've got like paranoid schizophrenia for example yeah um it's not one of those things that you can just sort of just act i mean you know daniel day lewis maybe okay but um (laughs) you know and he'd method act it for days and everybody get very upset about it but um uh it's not one of those things that you can just sort of um pull out the bag because sure. you know the, the, those experiences hearing voices being deluded about things thinking that things want to hurt you is not something that stops when you close the door uh, yeah. in your room or 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 you're doing some activity that you find enjoyable they're all they're all pervasive yeah. um so usually uh if you have somebody in this situation there's a question about the legitimacy of what they're saying if they're transferred over to a hospital and there's 24-hour nursing surveillance and support. Um, then you can you you can usually pick that apart quite quickly. It's like, oh well, so and so was in the communal area, and he said that mm. he was experiencing this, that, and the other, and he was acting in such and such way. And then he went to his room and sat there happily playing on his Nintendo for right. <laughs> you know three hours without any any problem. Um, yeah. They yeah, had so, that happen with like the Golden State Killer, right? Where it was like he yeah. was playing like a feeble old man or whatever, and then the right. cameras in his room caught him like doing pull ups on his bed and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That 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 guy did uh, did a fantastic uh, impression of Hector Salamanco, I think, from uh, Breaking Bad, <laughs> if I remember rightly. Uh, when, yeah, when he got dra- dragged to court. That's uh, exactly but, it. Yep. Yeah, he he was a he he was quite the naughty boy though. <laughs> uh, yeah, a long termer. Yes. I mean, I guess what what I'm like super fascinated to chat about is, I mean, how at at a if you to just take a guess, how many kind of larger scale offenders would you say you've 
interacted with personally, spoken to, and assessed on a one-to-one basis? Oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not really sure. Um, in, in terms of sort of your, uh, uh, what's what's the phrase that they use? The the big hitters. As, sure, yeah, yeah. As, 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 as it where I've heard it called. Sorry, my yeah, dog's heavy hitter. Some, some yeah. Noises in the background. Uh, my apologies. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I've I've met probably around f- maybe five or six um, s- serial killing types. Wow. Um, yeah, but within, you know, very specific confines where I've been on placement and things like that. So sort of yeah. as, as part of your training, um, you have to uh, go into various levels of security of, of working. So the majority of your training in forensic psychiatry will take place in what are called um, medium secure hospitals. Uh-huh. Um, one has recently been on the news for some uh, really bad abuses against patients and things like that. I don't know if you saw that on BBC. It was uh, ra- rather, rather distressing, actually. Um, but you do most of your training in medium secure and sort of to get a, a, a admitted into a medium secure hospital you're talking about crimes such as uh, a murder of somebody that you know or related mm. to um or you know a significant sexual uh, assault rape that kind of thing an mm. arson in which it's killed somebody uh, but then you've got like low secure which is where i'm working at the moment where i suppose you're sort of um glass ceiling if it were in terms of people that are coming in through the door would be something like a gbh so grievous bodily harm section 18 wounding um and and, you know other offenses of sort of that level but then i had to do i think i can't remember how long i was there it was about four months i worked in ashworth which is the high secure hospital um you know that has had many luminaries uh over the years (laughs) yeah in it and um you know uh usually what would get you in there would be killing somebody that you don't know strangers multiple multiple people um seriously odd sadistic types of crime and things like that so but similarly um you know i i saw people in there that were there because their mental disorder was so profound that they couldn't be managed in less supervised levels despite mm. not really ever having done anything particularly criminal so uh it, mm. it, it, it's it's it, it's a very very sort of uh hard system to get your head around in terms of how mm. one could percolate to that level um yeah. and yeah but no i i, I did meet some um uh, some spicy gentlemen should we say in in in, in ashworth when <laughs> you Go on, Corey, just a, just on that note, when you go into a place like this, you know, I, I think anyone listening to this podcast has probably seen plenty of shows along the lines of like Mindhunter and, <laughs> you know, all your kind of procedurals and all that kind of stuff. And every time they bring uh, someone in to go and interview your, you know, your Ed Kempers or you, all, all these kinds of uh, serial killer types, it's like this very uh, ominous situation where, you know, the person comes in and they're sitting across from this person who's very like menacing and uh, there's all this tension about this. What does it really feel like when you're Mm. in that actual situation? Is it actually pretty normal to your day-to-day experiences? Or you've got the the silence of the lamb set up, you know I mean? Do not approach the glass, do not touch the offender. Yeah, yeah, what what is, you know, what is the actual routine of (laughs) sitting down for a conversation with, one of these spicy gentlemen in as you beautifully put it yes. <laughs> I, I i think um 
yeah, I mean, ov- obviously the media likes to portray it as being something, uh, something absolutely terrifying. But at the, mm. at, the, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm a doctor um, and I'm interacting with a patient and, and, and yeah, where yeah, yeah. it's safe enough for me to do that, it would be uh, me getting into the place. And OK, g- getting into Ashworth takes about, you know, 15, 20 minutes when you go in. There's various scanners. You have to be logged on the system. You have to put your fingerprints in. You get searched. Everything gets X-rayed before you go in there. It's a real bugger if you've left something in the car and you realise <laughs> when you're half on the way in. Um, but... You know that that part, I suppose, is quite intense in its own way. If you if you're not used to it, but it was fairly standard for me. And then you'd go to these wards, and it would be you'd have to speak to somebody, and it'd be providing that they weren't you know such a risk um, to other individuals. Yeah, it would just be a case of going into a side room and and sitting down with them. Um, you know, and if if, if wards would permit, um, you know even having a cup of tea or something like that yeah. Chat, yeah. chatting to them because I think if you've got somebody manacled and stuck to a table in front of you in a very cold room and they were in mm. a boiler suit or something like that it, yeah. it, it it creates a bit of a dynamic where you can't just be as open and I think that um you know one of the things that gets lost in a lot of this is that um often these individuals you know they are people you know, they they may have done horrific and terrible things sometimes, but they're still just people and they should be afforded that same sort of dignity and, 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 and treatment when you, when you, when you're interacting with them, you know, I'd, I'd like to believe that like, you know, person who's done bad thing X's nan would be okay Mm. to know that they're in a hospital and that like Mm. they're getting treated with fair dignity and respect. Mm. Um, and that often involves a cup of tea, as far as I'm concerned, uh, where yeah, possible. <laughs> yeah, sure. shorthand for respect, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, putting those with diagnosable mental illness aside, what have been, when you've spoken to, to or, or interacted or treated offenders, you know, who've, who've committed some atrocities, some really fucking rough stuff, what yeah. have been some of the, are, are there any common traits or any 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 kind of, any personality traits or ticks that they all have in common? What are the kinds of things that you look for? What are the kinds of things that uh, that, that you try to bring out of your patients when attempting to kind of treat people who've, who've offended on that scale? I, th- I think it's a, it's a very, very heterogeneous um, population. So, yep. so there, there are certain commonalities uh, amongst the more offending population, but actually this sort of personality and, uh, and the way that they are uh, when you interact with them, it, it, it's not something, again, and I suppose this is one of the reasons that things like profiling isn't so uh, uh, prominent anymore, is that, it, mm. it, you know, th- there are certain things that sort of bind them together, but they're very, very individual um, in, in their own ways. Um, I, I suppose the things that are really common and, and not necessarily sort of um, personality traits, but it, it's usually about sort of life experience and things right. like that. So right. you will get this population of, I suppose, the, the, the misbegotten, the disaffected and things like that that have um, had not very good existences so it'll usually be from sort of the lower socioeconomic bracket mm. people that have experienced early trauma um you know uh, physical abuse emotional abuse sexual abuse those kind of things 
have been through the care system um, that have generally been really sort of let down by society at large and by their immediate the, the immediate people around them and actually society at large because you know lord knows that the care system um whilst it is much improved these days back in the day was was a really tough place for people mm. um and i i think those are the things that sort of you know bind it together really i mean you know when i was when i was um i worked in north wales for a little while uh, they let me they let me over the wall up into north wales for a little bit yeah. and um one of the things that was really striking, I, I worked in a medium secure unit there, and um, as as I recall, there were, I I, I think you know I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but the vast majority of um, guys that were in there had been in the care system, and the care system in North Wales is something that's been subject to serious scrutiny over the last years. Operation Palial, I think it was called, if I remember rightly, mm. um, where they looked into historical abuses, and there was stuff there was all sorts of really horrible stuff such as these boys being rented out to people and things like that Christ. you know um and well patients patients within the system um no so these would have been kids yeah kids in care um and you know there, there's been a huge investigation into that there's been various like um notable people that have been accused of various things so obviously i i, I use my words carefully in that mm. in that regard um, but, but, you know, a huge swathe of those individuals had been through that system. And I, you know, I, it always gets me back to thinking that how do you expect somebody to interact with the world and, and, and themselves yeah. if they've been so dehumanized to a point that they, they, they feel like they're, they're, they're a saleable asset or something like that. You know, it, yeah. it, you, you can never really marry that up with a healthy image of oneself and then, you know, if people are surprised then that they're capable of discharging huge amounts of violence or something like that, then I, I think they're being rather silly if you don't take the thing in. It, it's full of context, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's fascinating context. I mean, have you, uh, what have been some of your success stories? What have been some of the the, the kind of the patients that you, that you feel have left interactions with you or have left courses of treatment or programs of treatment with you in a, in a better state than they were when they, when, when they started. Yeah. And I, I think that this is sort of um, a more common phenomena within forensic psychiatry than just within the um, sort of normal roots of the criminal justice system. So yeah. if you look in terms of rates of recidivism, which is one of the loveliest sounding words, um, <laughs> I, I think recidivist, um, you know, it, it sounds fantastic. Um, but if you look at recidivism again, um, then people coming out of hospitals will have much lower, lower rates of going back and doing bad crimes than, yeah. than you will people coming out through prison and it's mainly because it's focused on pointing people in the right way giving them the tools um setting them up with say like a place to go um a job uh albeit voluntary or whatever mm. um and some sort of sense of purpose and again not feeling not feeling an outsider really um and th there's lots of people like that and um you know i i, I could think of some particular um, individuals in, in in the greater Wales, if you will, mm. um, that that have ended up in uh, high secure um, care. Which you know, if you're thinking about high secure, you know, your average length of time there can be 
well, <laughs> very lengthy, um, you know, because there's no set date on it. Uh, it's just when you're deemed not to require that anymore that you move mm. on from there. But, I, I you know, I, I can think of some individuals who've been incredibly unwell, have done very, very terrible things, costing lives, um, but have actually, through getting treatment through medicine, um, doing psychotherapy, doing occupational therapy, doing all of those mm. kind of things, have been able to work their way back down through the levels of security and then back out into the community and again and on with their lives. Um, mm. You know, it is most sort of impressive, I suppose, you know, that, that there are individuals that are in, uh, that have gone through that, that have these chronic disabling, um, you know, conditions like paranoid schizophrenia again, um, that are now actually, you know, in full-time employment, have their own tenancies, mm. own properties and things like that, and are, are genuinely getting on with their lives. I think that that's, that's one of the things actually in the job, I suppose, that uh, that really keeps you working towards it, really, because yeah. I think it, it can seem at times like this <laughs> incredibly gloomy, uh, unhopeful mm -hmm. job where you're working with people that are never going to be deemed safe. They're, 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 you know, bad people, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, but actually, most of them, when it truly is a case that they've been really unwell at the time that they've done it don't get me wrong that you know they may not be the nicest of people underneath all of that mm. but when you modify those things sufficiently and you're able to work with them and give them a sense of purpose and find something that's meaningful to them they can actually just get on with their lives and yeah. you know when they walk out of the door that's not the end of it sure. <laughs> so, so, so i you know part of my job um I work in the low secure uh, wards and things in Cardiff and I'm well currently am the only forensic psychiatrist for Cardiff uh, in in the NHS. Wow. Um, was that always the case? Has, uh, was, was, did, were there more of you at one point? Uh, so, so, so my colleague um, who, who I like to think of as my work dad um, yeah. sadly has, <laughs> has, has retired now and I occasionally phone him up going, what do I do about this? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he does dutifully tell me that I'm okay and everything's all right and gives me very good advice because he's been a forensic psychiatrist for, years so uh, he, he's a very useful resource but you know sadly he's retired um we're currently looking for an another person to come along and uh, share the load but um we're we're rare as hen's teeth unfortunately wow. forensic psychiatrists i think i think we're uh i, I can't the, the figures are probably a little greater than this but i remember them at one point being there's like 250 of us in the uk so you know actually attracting another consultant to come to sunny wales and work with us is uh, proven proven tricky at the moment mm. um so yeah. what that just makes me think too like you know so you're talking about how with treatment this tends to minimize recidivism or make like some dent in how much that happens which of course then you know suggests that in the general population of prison of probably your, whatever your juvenile detentions all these kinds of things access to this kind of treatment would be helpful what yeah. kind of but it seems you know at least with your focus there's few people like this but is there treatment options for people in general when they're in prison because it seems like you've you've sort of made the case that a lot of people what the commonality is yeah. is trauma in their backgrounds and instability abuse things like that what is it uh, what kind of access do people have who aren't the people that you see yeah so 
Um, within the gen general sort of prison population, um, it's, it's, it's really, really sad to say, but um, the, the, the access to sort of treatment, rehabilitation um, programs, etc., things that they can access that are focused on um, addressing areas around their therapy are horribly, horribly limited. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a, a there's there's a there's there's a real it's, it's a it's a bit of a difficult issue, really, in in, in terms of the public perception and the way that it's, it's played out is persons in prison are bad. They've done bad things. They're in prison. They are there yeah. to be punished. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. there to, you know, receive their punishment. They're there to not be able to go out and do the things that they like. And it serves them bloody right because they've, they've done a bad thing and they're, they're bloody right. evil. And, you know, like, and it's the most narrow minded, short sighted view that you could possibly adopt because if you're thinking about, you know, these people are, people they're going to be coming back out into the community they're going to be um you know in, in, engaging with you me you know my mum my dad mm. you know the, these people that you would want something to have happened in there that is going to have sort of steered them from that path in some kind of way or has given them some kind of purpose and don't get me wrong there are certain things um so they can engage in sort of work programs and things like that um hmp cardiff actually um even though it's uh, a proper old school Victorian jail or mm. spelt, spelt gowl, which if yeah, you pronounce yeah, it that yeah. way, you get shouted at. Um, <laughs> and rightly so. Um, you know, had a great program running for a number of years where they were taking guys and they were allowing them to work in this um, uh, restaurant that's attached to the prison called The mm. Clink, which is nice. a rather, rather, <laughs> wow. rather rather cheesy name but um mm -hmm. and, and i'm not talking about you know like uh they do fried fried toast and some beans or you know like mm -hmm. a bit of sausage or something like that this is like proper gourmet food and wow. they're, they're really skilling people up in there to have yeah. something where they go out to it and i think that often knowing that there's something that you can do where you are valued and you take yeah, yeah. some intrinsic value from you is 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 incredibly helpful um so there is some good work like that that happens, but in terms of access to like psychologists and things like that, um, you know, again, they're, they're witheringly rare. Mm -hmm. uh, and it'll only be in sort of situations where somebody is so disordered in some kind of way in terms of their behavior, not necessarily driven by a psychosis or a serious mental illness, but because of their sort of personality makeup or just mm. the way that they are, that the psychologist will get deployed to go and advise on, oh, this is happening, this is happening, and this is what we should maybe do. It, it, it's more... It's more a sort of uh, reactionary uh, kind of intervention as opposed to a proactive intervention, which is what should mm -hmm. really be happening. Yeah. There should be armies of psychologists in there going and talking to everybody and finding out how have you found yourself in this situation? What is it that we can do? Do you have PTSD? Have you got, you know, like an actual difficulty as a result of what you've been through? Or, you know, huge other thing is that, you know, things like ADHD, mm. um, an attention deficit, all that, uh, are completely missed. And there's a huge swathe of the prison population that have that. They just go out completely undiagnosed. They go and do their time. And, you know, I've tried to describe prison to, to my friends and things before that have not been lucky enough to go and spend time in prison. <laughs> um, yeah. And it is just, it's a little bit like, 
do you know when you were in school and they were like your mates and things like that and they were great and you hung around with your mates and there were other people and you knew that some people weren't very nice and you didn't want to mess with them particularly and there were bullies and all of that well just imagine that all of your friends are taken out of the equation mm. you're surrounded by aggressive individuals who are quite bullying it's quite territorial mm. and unlike school at the end of the day where you can go home and watch teenage mutant ninja turtles or something like that you you are stuck there and you don't get to go out mm-hmm. um it it's it's an incredible it can be an incredibly toxic environment you know it, it's very hierarchical um you know there, there's there's powerful figures within there that sort of rule the roost to a certain degree well in the, um, in the general population yeah in the, in the general population in prison it's it's um you know, it's not quite again like you've seen on telly or things like right. that. It's, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not like that. But there, there are certainly, it's not, um, let's say, it's not in any way a therapeutically beneficial environment. And I think that if you're thinking about countries that have got their approach to sort of the uh, penal system correct, I mean, one has to just look at countries like Norway, um, mm-hmm. Scandinavian countries. So they've got like the lowest rates of recidivism in the world. Um, yeah. And well, yeah, one of the reasons for that is that they pretty much don't send you to prison. I mean, okay, Anders Breivik, you get sent to prison. You did kill 97 people or whatever it was. Um, You know, the singer from Burzum, Varg, whatever his mm-hmm. name yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yes, Varg Vickerness. Varg Vickerness, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the boy. Um, Count Grishnak, as he was also known, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, lad, yeah. God, what a dork. <laughs> <laughs> yes dork is absolutely fair but he got sent away for a long time for what yeah. he did um so it's, it's only in those really extreme end of the cases that they actually send anyone to prison so mm. where somebody's committed a crime over in norway they are subject to sort of um i don't know like a superversion of probation uh where they have to go to meetings they have to have a supervisor they have to go through rehabilitation programs they have to do sort of therapy and things like that to look at their difficulties and lo and behold not locking somebody up in a box and making them hate society more than they already mm. bloody did it uh right. you know it, it it seems to be a more effective strategy um imagine that yeah imagine this that is, yeah it's a big conversation now i think it's it's interesting to hear you say that too because you know here uh there's more of like movements in america about like people saying like we should abolish prison and it's basically for exactly this that like there we can't fathom that there's some other way to do this because we are so used to that concept that you were talking about earlier the whole point is to punish people make them feel bad, you know, and yeah. take away their freedoms as opposed to, you know, if they're going to be a part of society, it's best for them and for the rest of us to do something that is rehabilitative. Yeah. For them, yeah. As I, seems I, to be the case in these. Well, I, I, th- I think one of the more sort of alarming things to my mind um, in terms of the penal system is that uh, you've seen a bit of a bit of a bigger trend of it in the UK lately. And I know that in America, it's sort of 100% the case is that, mm. um, you know, there are private organizations, private yes. companies that run and operate these places. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got, um, I don't know, Jimmy the Stabber, we'll call him, who loves stabbing. Sure. And he's been <laughs> sent down for 20 years for mega stabbing. Um, that is, Jimmy the Stabber is going to, you know, make a revenue for for right. some company somewhere where wow. he's held 
in there, you know, so to, to for him to be there, us as a society will pay mm. through our taxes or whatever yep. to this company via some strange, probably Tory related um, mm. pathway to these to these companies in order to hold those people there. So it, it just feels like on many levels they're, they're, there's a vested interest somewhere for someone to put these people in this position is making somebody some money somewhere. Um and it's not actually really benefiting those individuals or society at large. Right. And, um, you know, sorry to take such a cynical view of it, but, uh, you know, That's I've absolutely true. It's yeah. hard not to, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned, I don't know, Anders Brevik there. We've mentioned Varg, Jimmy yeah. the Stabber, you know, big names in murder. <laughs> um, are, there, are there any, or have there been any, historically any kind of mega offenders who you would have loved the chance to have able to sit down in a conversation with? Ooh. That's 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 oh yeah, I, I I suppose. Um, I mean again and again, I don't know if this is slightly meted out by my own sort of viewing of uh, media and things like that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I I'm pretty sure that I've completed uh, serial killers on YouTube at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I may I may have seen all of that at some yeah. point or another. They're just kind of quite nice to have on in the background when you're doing your ironing on a Sunday yeah. night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we all have our comfort yeah. things. <laughs> Absolutely, but I th- I think there are a few that um, do fascinate me. Um, and mainly not the ones that would actually be my bread and butter. So, so, so individuals with big psychosis. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, I mean, I suppose Richard Chase, um, mm. who, who was that uh, individual who had an interesting psychosis in so much as he had this thing called uh, Cotard syndrome, um, which is a very, very <laughs> rare syndrome yeah. where you believe that like you are dead or part of you in some way is dead. It's, it, it's like the severe end of the spectrum mm. of the nihilistic delusion. And I believe that Richard Chase believed that his blood was being taken out of him and turned dust by the Nazis, if I remember wow. rightly, and that in order to sort of replenish that, he needed to go and get blood to sort that out. Um, mm. I mean, you know, he's a problem solver, I suppose. Uh, yeah. But um, in his way, it wasn't? <laughs> right. you know, there's some rehabilitation profile, uh, you know, potential there. This guy can yeah. sort out his problems. But um, he was going around to like people's houses. And if the door was open, as used to be the fashion of things, uh, he yeah, would yeah. go in, see that as an invitation. So he, he named himself, you know, he got the nickname, the vampire of wherever it was that he was from. Um so I think he would have been interesting in terms of what could have been done with that chap with modern medicine, because, you know, yeah, he was yeah, offending yeah. at a time where antipsychotics were a bit crap um, and therapies weren't quite where they are now. So it'd be interesting to meet him and to be able to sort of like try and treat him and see what you would have left at the end of that. Um, I think one of the things with a lot of people where they've been very psychotically unwell and they've done something is that they get to a point where they're a bit more well and it's mm. the crushing realisation of, oh my God, what have I done? Oh, um, yeah. And the, the, there's that whole sort of end to deal with then at the end of it. Um, but thinking about other people, I mean, I, I guess just because, um, you, you know, Ed Kemper would have been one. I would love to, love to have been able to uh, speak to him is he, he's still around i think he's still around isn't he? yeah but, he's uh, like he is. narrates yeah. audiobooks and yeah stuff yeah, yeah. Like you, that you, now. you may have heard oh, his voice hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay look there's, there's there's potential for us all but um mm. i mean i think he, he he would have been an interesting chap to have met i mean that sort of um 
cold, cold sort of detachment from from the severity of what it was that he was doing that would sort mm. of be considered within the inability to sort of empathize and um, have those uh, what are known as mirror neurons, which was actually a pathway discovered in the brain by Cardiff University through some of their well, well, Im- well. imaging services. Yeah, so they were the first people to look into this mirror neuron, which allows you to sort of have that empathetic um, approach to people. Um, I think Ed Kemper, simply from that point of view, and the fact that he was a bit of a towering intellect in terms of his yeah. uh, his intelligence, would be a hell of a cup of tea to sit down and have a chat with, I think. Mm. Um, this yeah, makes I- me think just thinking about that like the two questions that come to mind is do you ever encounter people who are very detached like that like you know just uh like very cold when it comes to what they've done or things like that and on the other hand people who are um extremely self-aware because ed kemper is both of those things right like where he's detached from the sort of emotional element of these things but he's also like he can tell you about like oh i probably did it because uh you know i was resentful about blah blah blah, self-awareness yeah how often do you come across just in general people who you are working with who are either extremely self-aware or extremely cut off or both yeah Again, I mean, it's 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 never a one size fits all. But um, there was there was some study done um, a few years back. It came up at the National Forensic Conference. We we occasionally get to have those. Now COVID's gone. We're going to go and have a party mm-hmm. again. It'll be great, <laughs> and I I won't have to do it over over the computer. Um, <laughs> but the, there was there was some uh, retrospective study where they they ran some sort of uh, brief diagnostic um, screening tests over various uh, serial killers from America, actually, and um, mm. looked at some of their traits and things like that and, and picked up certain uh, features of things uh, that would be considered to be on the autistic spectrum um, mm. in, in terms of the sort of uh, the organization, the sort of repetition of patterns and things yeah. like that. And again, that sort of detachment. And look, you know, this is this is not to say that you know autism is in any way you know oh, something right. that's going to prime people to yeah. be like no, that no, 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 no. um and perhaps it's an affectation of something that we don't really fully understand that there's mm. some commonality between these types of um m- mental states sure. um so you, you you definitely i've definitely and you know could think of people you know uh, sort of now really uh, that i work with where there is that sort of lack of understanding, lack of ability to reflect um, on what it is that they've done, um, serious attempts to sort of minimize things, etc. where it will, it will be sort of, in a way, ego protective, because admitted to oneself that someone has done, you know, that you have done something bloody awful is, is, is really, it's a really hard pill to swallow. And you find that a lot of people will sort of avoid that, you know, to, to, to the extent that people who have, um, mental illness um and and sort of your psychotic disorders will shy away from treatment um of the mental illness to keep them in a state where they cannot accept the reality of what has happened as a sort of defensive mechanism um but you do you do get individuals that are very very reflective um you do get some that are able to sort of see that gravity of what it is that they've done i've i've seen people like 
perhaps even more so on that side where it has just absolutely ruined them where where they've you know realized oh my god i've i've ruined mm. someone's life i've ruined their family's life you know there's nothing i can ever do that will uh, you know i'll never be able to atone for this um, yeah yeah and that is that's quite uh, uh, that's really difficult. That that's one of those things where you know I I, I can tell you know I, I can speak to these people and say, look, you know this was your circumstances at the time. This is how things were. Um, you, you're better now from a mental state point of view. But I think they'd probably argue with me that actually they're not in many ways. That they you know mm-hmm. they've got to live with this now, and it's about pulling everything back together from that. So mm-hmm. yeah, you you you, you do get you get those two positions and as you say you you could sort of exist with you know not being aware and being aware at the same time right. it's, it, it's you know it, it's that uh, sort of reciprocal role idea that uh, mm. comes from cognitive analytical therapy where you can be both mm-hmm. um in that situation you could be the abuser or the abusee um you can adopt both of those roles and in mm. some way um particularly with that particular example i'm giving you it's it's where you've been abused adopting the position of being the abuser is a very powerful sort of position where you feel in some way that you're taking the power back and things like that and uh, mm-hmm. everything we sort of do as far as i can tell and you know i'll, I'll take other advice to the contrary um <laughs> is a way of avoiding sort of mental pain and yeah, yeah. just avoiding um the the hard questions or the or, or or that horrible mirror that we have to hold up to ourselves sometime um yeah it, it's that sort of es- escaping from from a from a situation that uh, you find a lot of people doing so what do you have any strategies that you employ because i can, I can only imagine does, does it take a toll on you being you know spending your working day kind of surrounded by very you know people who've done pretty fucked up things fucked up people in fucked up situations yeah you know what are your strategies to stay mentally well yourself yeah i mean um i i i, I suppose it it's the most common sort of question really and even amongst my sort of colleagues in medicine you know just yeah. in the more general general sphere of things it's like how the hell do you go and have those conversations each evening and then go home and play with the dogs and yeah, yeah, meal, yeah. Cook your meal and and feel all right. Um, I mean, I, I suppose. Okay, it, it it's it's this is always probably facetious in some way, I suppose. But um, it's it's kind of dark subject matter. When I was like eleven or twelve, I started listening to death metal. So I mean, yeah. you know, like darker subject matter and things like that, and people talking about horrible things and horror films and stuff like that and such. I don't think it was something that I was as potentially sensitive to as I could have been right. because of my own sort of conditioning and experience from yeah. the sort of uh, media and, and art that I kind of consumed in terms of books and things like that. You know, I'm a big reader of things like Stephen Donaldson and things like that, where, you know, quite often one of the central themes, you know, in the unbeliever and the gap cycle and things like that are about the consequences of um, rape and how that can play out on a much wider scale. So I suppose uh-huh. 
those kind of topics and things like that weren't something that was quite as provoking or shocking mm. to me. Yeah. And, and I forget about this whenever I've got medical students and I start going on about stuff and then I think, oh, fuck, these guys probably really don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not everyone came from <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like perhaps I should have given a, you know, a spoiler warning or something. Spoiler warning. I've go- gone in on an eight. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to say bad things. Sorry, folks. But um, yeah. I think then sort of on a day-to-day basis when you're, when you're working with this, it's, it's very, very important to not lose yourself in it. And I think um, I've seen people over the years that have um, just ended up getting so sort of drawn into their work uh, and mm. things like that, that they, they lose themselves within that. And it's very important to have that. Like, so for me, um, you know, I, what do I like to do? I like to live in my small house. It looks a little bit like a hobbit house in, in nice. South Wales and, and and be part of the local community and go out and have a pint, uh, go for a walk. Uh, I did like going to the gym until I buggered my ankle a month or so no. ago. <laughs> um, and, Rough. you know, um, making music as well. Um, I've obviously, um, I've played in bands since I was in, um, since I was in, well yes secondary school really so 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 a lot of kind of musical um stuff i've been involved with over the years i've had a nice little hiatus now for the last uh, couple of years which is Mm. is great my joints and my throat are probably thanking me (laughs) uh, a a lot for that but yeah having that sort of creative um angle is is a great way to channel it especially especially i suppose if you're making really really aggressive music uh, as i've made over the years i'm hopefully going to try and do something less aggressive moving forward because i'm mm. getting old, old now and i can't bounce up and down quite as much so believe it or not uh, i've actually got one of your cds uh, signed in my car oh really <laughs> yes i do uh, our mutual friend sent me uh, a chaos trigger album oh um, lovely lovely shit hot to this too did uh, do you do you do you kind of parlay uh, some of what you come up against or, or some of what you find yourself moving amidst in your work into that into your music? Do you channel yeah. it into your art? Yeah. So um, the uh, as you've mentioned there, the the, the uh, Chaos Trigger album. I mean, it was titled Degenerate Matter, which oh, yeah. is um, like that uh, physics concept where you subject um, subject a gas to certain degrees of pressure and things like that and it behaves in a way that can't be explained by our current understanding of science um and i thought that was almost like a really good analogy for Mm. um for a lot of what i see and what i work with you see people under these pressures be it from mental illness sociological pressures um you know something going on in their life Mm. and and they act in a way that you can't really you can't really understand at that time Mm. um yeah and i you know that 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 concept itself um really underpinned that album and a, a lot of that album is sort of uh impossible situations impossibly bad situations none of it's particularly you know easy listening um <laughs> if i'm honest um where uh you know uh, there, there's songs in there about um fairly significant crimes that have happened in 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 south wales that i've had knowledge of or you know um not really necessarily been directly involved with because i'm careful to not lose my uh my my medical license yeah (laughs) but but, yeah very important um you know and down as far as um you know just impossible situations like uh, i wrote 
that song Polar uh, on that record, which was absolutely um, skull batteringly heavy track. It is. It's, <laughs> it's quite mean, isn't it? Um, but but um, that song, the lyrical content of that is um, I don't know if you remember uh, some probably, I don't know, probably about seven or eight years ago. There was um, a group of students uh, from Eton School college right. or whatever it is the the, the really posh one where sure. the prime the one minister goes and producing yeah. prime ministers yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even i um, know this yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well the, the, uh the, there'd been like a school trip out to svalbard um not the band the country um and they were out camping and obviously there's lots of polar bears everywhere and uh this polar bear had gotten in through the perimeter defenses because they hadn't been checked properly and ate a schoolboy uh on this trip and obviously um you know i'm really sorry to that kid's family and everything Mm. like that is absolutely awful but i decided to write that song about um what would that be like from the polar bears point of view um so 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 the entire lyrical content for that is really sorry about this but i'm just a biological machine and i've 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 I need to eat and it's, you know, it's nothing against the Tory party or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just eating the first bit of meat. Yeah. Like I, I, you're I, in I, my fucking I, garden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's about him waking up from hibernation, being really ravaged, skinny, and just uh, going and munching this child. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're going to eat a child, make it a Tory child, I guess. Yes. Oh <laughs> tempered with, tempered with foie gras and <laughs> various other condiments. Yeah. Champagne. Um, Tara, I'm curious to get your input on. Have there been any fictional offenders, fictional murderers, fictional killers who you think uh, they've got it right? They've 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 actually done a really good job from a medical point of view. Yeah. Of, of fleshing out the character. Yeah. Um, one that really and almost instantly sticks out in my mind is the portrayal of um, the Joker in in the is it the Joaquin Phoenix? I don't know. Yeah, if I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Correctly. No, that's it. Um, yeah, and, and it was really interesting actually. The um, the Royal College of Psychiatry, of which I am a member, um, came out and said after that film was sort of released, was you know they came out and made this statement about oh no, you know people with mental illness aren't like this. This is fiction. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. But hilariously, the forensic faculty of which I'm a part um, <laughs> came out and said actually no, this is almost spot on. <laughs> you well, know? Wow, fucking hell! You know, you, you, you've got you've got this individual who is let again exactly as I've described, let down by the world, constantly doesn't feel in place, has essentially been a victim of fear, well, emotional neglect in some yeah, some yeah, yeah. degree and sort of lives in this fantasy world. And you see a sort of evolution through that and how it, you know, it doesn't start off as, you know, he wakes up one morning, I'm a fucking supervillain and goes off and nukes an entire island or something yeah. like that. It, it, it's little steps that get him to that point where he you know, becomes this character. And um, yeah, I I don't know as well if I'm just sort of biased to it because the soundtrack to it was absolutely stunning. Um, (laughs) The the, the composer on that actually played in the band Sunno for a while. Um, So yeah, it was was just one of those films that I I went, it's it's one of the only times I've ever gone to see a a film in a cinema twice because I was like, are there bits that I missed the first time around? Because I remember sat there the first time with with, with my girlfriend at the time and um, saying to it, oh, that's this, you know, and like pointed out various little (laughs) psychiatric bits and bobs that we were seeing as we were going for. So I I probably ruined the film for her and that's (laughs) why she (laughs) Wow, fascinating. That's very surprising, but that's really interesting. Mm. 
I thought they did a good, good. I, really good job. Um, mainly because it didn't just, it, it wasn't just the, your, your sort of airdropped into the, there's this bad bugger, look at him. You know, it right. was, it, it, it was that story, the Genesis. And that for me has always been the most interesting thing about psychiatry and forensic psychiatry, even more so is, um, you know, when I, when I was 15, 16, I had this little summer job, uh, which is the most middle-class doctor's son summer job that you can ever have. Uh, my, my father's surgery, he's a, he's a low, well, now retired GP, the lucky sod, um, <laughs> you know, w- w- working in South Wales. They were moving all of their records onto the computer. So I was employed to go there and input all of this information onto the computer system. Mm. Uh, and I sat in this tiny room with a very small window and very, uh, you know, the server was in there and things like that. I sweated after death. Um, it's probably, <laughs> yeah. probably why I was so skinny when I was a kid. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I found the whole thing fascinating, though. You'd, you'd read these files and things like that, and it'd be so-and-so has got, uh, you know, nothing much going on in there. You know, they, they may he broke his arm and he's fine and this is that and that would be it you know really thin files nothing particularly interesting Mm. in there and then you'd get to these other files where persons have got you know significant mental health problems um and they'd be absolute tomes and you'd read it and you'd look at this story evolving and it'd be like this stuff happened when they were younger then they got to this place and they started getting these odd experiences and you'd see the sort of the first presentation to services you know what what one i particularly remember um was around this person who had um things had been sort of okay obviously you can't say from this book exactly you know mm. from these notes what was going on at home or anything like that but everything seemed okay educationally doing all right got gcse's or o levels probably they were at the time a levels gone on to university and then there's this sort of presentation then in a levels where this person has sort of started socially uh, sorry in, in university where this person started to socially isolate gone into themselves really not going out at all and then their first mm. presentation is all sort of going along okay they turn up then and they're complaining of seeing blood coming out of the walls and wow. really terrifying you know horror story kind of stuff and i just it was so fascinating to me as a kid. And I, I remember, I vividly remember reading this particular set of notes. And um, obviously I'm upstairs in, in, in the little, um, little horrible room that I was working from. And I remember phoning down to my father who was in surgery that morning when he had a break between seeing patients and going, dad, I'm, I'm reading this. Is this actually real? The, does wow. this happen to people? Like, you know, is, is yeah. this something real? And he's like, yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, one of those things. And, you know, because like like most people, I thought schizophrenic meant that you have a split personality or something yeah, like that right. when, when, yeah. when I was uh, little. And it was just it was just really capturing for me and fascinating that sort of the genesis of these things and the fact that it, it, it it's woven into a narrative of somebody's mm. existence is really where I find it very interesting. And I, I get to do like a lot of reports and things like that, that I'll write for the court. And it, I, I can get access to everything notes wise. It'll be, you know, social services notes, GP records, medical records on the computers that we've got, um, police records, everything. So you, you go from a sort of state of, not ignorance, but relative ignorance to really forming a picture of, okay, 
I understand this now. I understand how we've gotten to where we are. And mm. I, I find I find that fascinating. Um, people's stories are fascinating, even when they're not completely uh, terrifying sometimes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think you've just told us your origin story, haven't you? There we are. Yeah, that's yeah. how I'm, yep. I'm going to end up uh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, this is this is... This is over-delivered, frankly. This has been fascinating on a level I really wasn't prepared for. This has been absolutely superb. Um, oh, thank you. If we can just trouble you for five more minutes of your time, right, to bring a little bit of closure to Corrigan and I. Okay. <laughs> right. So I'll, I'll just lay this out. What, about six or eight months ago, Corrie and I did an episode yeah. of this very podcast where we both described our plan for executing a, a, a murder that we thought we could get away with, right? <laughs> right, okay, yeah. And you can probably see I'm, what I'm not going. allowed to tell you how, by the way. You know. no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. And we, <laughs> we, put, question here. we put both our ideas to our listeners, to our community, and uh, asked them to kind of judge which they felt was realistically most likely, uh, you know, to, to, to be gotten away with. And I got, I got fucking dragged, mate. My plan got savaged. <laughs> Um, whereas I think Corey got off lightly so I think it would be lovely if we could have you know an informed opinion uh, on which of these two would you think is most likely to to get off scot-free all right okay so you, you okay um just just to preface this yeah pretty much no one gets away with this shit anymore right. okay ah, <laughs> okay yeah that's no, interesting that's, in itself yeah that's an important important element of yeah. of this, yes. But you know, theoretically, okay, okay. What okay. is, is that, the is that less terrible is, plan? Is, <laughs> is the, the the so what with surveillance forensics, mm-hmm. the the murderers get caught by yeah. and large. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, and and even more than just those those sort of scientific developments and investigative developments and the way that you know we're being watched every single bloody second of, of our day. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know, we also have sort of these online profiles, these existences mm. where we yeah, are yeah. so accountable, you know, like for example, um, you know, you, you, you log into Facebook and you can see when you've logged into there. And if that doesn't happen for a couple of days or something, people are going to get suspicious or what have yeah, you, right. um, yeah. you know, I'm not sure that Mark Zuckerberg would give a fuck, but um, <laughs> you know, some, someone would, we're mm-hmm. so we're so traceable. We leave such a footprint these days. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I think um, if you're looking for a victim pool, it'd probably be somebody that's not on Facebook. I mean, I wouldn't suggest that you do look for a victim no, pool no. or anything, but um, you <laughs> yes. know, it, 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 the misbegotten might be the one to go for. Yes. Go on, Cara, okay. you go first. I go first. Okay. Please, yeah. So my uh, my crime here. Is, are you familiar with? Wolfsbane or Aconite? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Okay, so you can get it freely at, well, I don't know in the UK if you can, but you can, it grows, you can get it freely at a, like, Chinese medicine store, something of that kind of uh, thing. So it's used in legitimate uh, medical contexts. Yeah. my or That's the wrong way of putting it. Yeah, (laughs) maybe not legitimate medical context, but it is a thing that you could buy, reasonable whatever, or just pick from somewhere growing. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, it is also incredibly toxic, um, yeah. and there is no antidote, and um, it can only be, you have to know someone ingested it, basically, to be able to find it, right? Because there's only two ways that once you're in the hospital, they can figure out that that is what poisoned you, um, yeah. and they're yeah. both things that are not tests that they will run on you 
unless no. they know that you have ingested this already. No, no. So my crime here would be to go to a place um, and, and for context too, we just said these are like random murders, um, right? So we're kind of a serial killer vibe here. You know, we're, we're going for a random target. Uh, I go to something that is in a group, but not in a place that is, you know, cameras everywhere, things like that. So I'm talking like a wedding or something like that, right? Like where you're in like a hall um, and you're not, they don't have CCTVs or whatever all over the place. (laughs) I just went to a wedding that was out by a river yesterday, right? There's no cameras anywhere aside from the professional photographer taking pictures. So you're in a place like that uh, and you have a little bit of aconite and you, you know, at some point it slips into someone's food or it can be powdered, it can be a leaf, it can be whatever the case may be. Um, it gets into somebody's food, uh, you know, somewhere along the lines, nobody's watching you and someone ingests it. You have no connection to this particular person at the party. It's not the person you're there to see, whatever. Uh, just a random target in this place that mm. you put a little bit of aconite in. They go through whatever they die there is nothing that comes back to you specifically well and then you just walk off into the night then you just go home and then when they call you you're just like everybody else who's like yeah i think i saw that person at the party mm-hmm. i don't know them <laughs> we we weren't hanging out but that's fine I, I, I suppose that's that's not a bad one. If you, if if you um, oh, actually no, it's a terrible, ter- it's a terrible, terrible one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terrible one. We but, really um, we are not yeah. condoning any of this. <laughs> no. Just theoretically, it's a thought experiment. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, I'd suppose in terms of that, because there would be no way to sort of establish a, a sort of motive or a drive or some. Yeah. You know, it's it, usually where there's somebody that you know they they have some previous history with and things like that that really you know the fingers get pointed you know the first person they always go to is like the partner or someone like that when they're looking for this so that that random that random factor of it is Mm. is is really very good um again because it's something that doesn't involve the large use of violence or something again that is really really you, you you can you can look back at that and 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 work out from again forensics and things like that uh that that something has happened to someone and that it's a fairly fairly purchasable yet deadly um bit, bit of kit i think that's mm. that's not a bad plan i mean i, w- I wouldn't recommend doing it um but that's fairly solid i i'm quite impressed thank you it, the, i, I kind going. of came about this because I Googled like what is obviously nobody gets away with murder anymore, but I was like, what do people get away with the longest? And it's usually some form of poisoning. So yeah. the random thing yeah. is the thing that, and you don't have to dispose of the body, which was mm. the other element. Cause they'll just mm. go to the hospital. So. Well, it, interestingly, <laughs> and, 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 as a slight interjection, I mean, um, poisoning and things like that is, uh, is what actually led to the development of the different levels of security in forensic psychiatry. So, Back in the day, it was you're either in a general psychiatric hospital, um, you know, just your your regular place, or you're in high secure hospital, which is like the equivalent of a category A prison. And there was nothing in between that for people to work back down the lines. And there was this Mm. guy, Graham Young, um, who was a fairly odd gentleman um, who probably he's been sort of, again, retrospectively diagnosed with some form of ASD and personality Mm -hmm. disorders. Um, he was very, very interested in chemistry, 
his family got him a chemistry kit and decided to start making thallium, which is a oh. o- o- odorless poison, yeah, um, tasteless poison. And he started um, keeping books of um, how much he was dosing his family with and what the sort of um, wow. reactions to that would be. Um, and this sort of went on for quite a while. He was he was a young teenager at the time when he started doing this and he was dosing his family up. Um, his mother died in a car accident and it's believed that since that, that he poisoned her and she got you know passed out and died yeah. in the car. Yeah. But he then eventually got caught when um, his sister, who he dosed up, had gone to the London Underground and was under the London Underground and um, had a fit and a seizure and um, got taken to a hospital. And some fucking really ridiculously clever doctor decided to test her for poisons and things like that. I would have wow. never fucking thought of that. Myself. Yeah, right. Anyway, um, and they found out there was thallium. They went to the house. The police went in there. They found all these books of his wow. you know, his yeah, keeping records is doing. not a good way to get away with it. Also very good. Yeah, don't 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 do that with your wolf Spain. Um <laughs> and um yeah, so they 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 banged him up to rights. Uh they decided that what he'd done was so bizarre that he was obviously mentally unwell. That used to be the equation back in the day. Right, yeah. So they sentenced him to go to Broadmoor, which is one of our high secure hospitals um in the UK. And um yeah, so he got sentenced to go there, um, went there, and he was an absolute model patient. He, he, <laughs> he did really well. He got involved with the chaplaincy. He was like a sort of altar boy type figure. Uh, he also helped out in the library where he managed to access many medical textbooks and learned how to make other poisons, including arsenic, which he managed to make from lavender and used to kill another patient and never got picked up on at the time. Oh, shit. He then... Um, Coming up to his release date, um, <laughs> the consultant psychiatrist, who must feel like a right lemon at this point, um, said <laughs> he, and, and I quote, he is no longer fixated with the machinations and mischief of poisons and potions, and he is ready to go back out into the society. <laughs> so, so they let him out. And um, this, this, this is the bit which is incredibly f- uh, flipping stupid. Um, he... <laughs> He got let out. Probation set him up to go out, and they got him a job working in a chemical factory. Of course, making, what could go wrong? Yeah, what could go wrong? So he went to this lens factory and uh, was working there using chemicals and stuff. And as part of his job, he was the tea boy because he was the youngest. Oh person my there. word! Fucking yeah. hell! Wait, then, was this? Was there a movie about this? Young Poison's mm-hmm. Young, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. And um, wow. so he, he went out and um, was uh, making everybody's cups of tea. And then there was this, uh, this, this epidemic within this area. <coughs> um, he, 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 uh, there was something called the Bovingdon bug. It was known as in the local uh-huh. literature because um, a bunch of people that worked in and around this plant had become very, very unwell with the gastric disturbance. Four of them had ultimately died. Um, and everybody was scratching their head. They thought it was like some outbreak of some virus or disease that nobody really knew. They sent some investigators down to the chemical plant to interview people. They interviewed uh, Graham Young and this investigator's there asking him a bunch of questions. And Graham Young comes out with, has anyone thought that this could be a case of thallium poisoning? Which um, which the investigator thought, well, that's the weirdest <laughs> fucking thing you could possibly say. <laughs> so, so they looked back into his history and lo and behold, you know, he'd, he'd been to Broadmoor, he'd been there because he'd poisoned his family and they banged him to rights. And as a result of that, um, 
the there was an inquiry into it, the uh, Butler report, I think it was, where they looked at the way that services were sort of set up and they decided that they needed a bit more of a step down yeah. system. Wow. <laughs> no as, opposed, as, as opposed to this, just let them out. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, kind of model that they had back then. Sorry. Incredible. Complete, beautiful uh, tangent there. No, it's a beautiful, beautiful tangent. Bit of, bit of That's what we live for. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those rabbit holes are our fucking stock in trade, mate. Uh, right. Hey, Mark, your mind? plan. <laughs> right. So, to remove the connection of motive, um, just stick a pin in the UK in a map of the UK. Right. Yeah. Drive to a random town. Um, I think I think the plan was to under like cover of darkness, do a Bundy, like, okay. oh, can you come and help me with my car? And thwack. Uh, like get somebody in the boot of my car, drive them home, mm-hmm. uh, and then when I've got the when I've got the body home, I would then just spend days going fucking ape shit on this corpse, right? Just reduce it to <laughs> slurry and dust, just pestle and mortar, just grind it to fucking atoms. Yeah, and then uh, over like a week or so, spend days at a time just disposing of a little bit of it here and there. So chuck a bit in a lake, uh, unrecognizable, just fragments and goop. <laughs> chuck some out the window here, put some in a river there until it's all gone. And I will okay. add your your plan initially also had you accumulating the tools of your murder over like the course of like six months. Yes. Not so all at once. Okay. different shops, different disguises. I'll buy <laughs> like a bucket here, a broom. <laughs> A cheese grater. You know what I mean? Just in There's no taking this plan seriously. No, and I'd have like a, I'd have a beard one time and like one of those glasses with a nose yeah. on. You yeah, know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. One of the other yeah. shops. But the thing is, I would take my time and not rush, uh, and do it all over a long period of time, uh, and the victim would be like somebody from some random town. Okay. Okay. Um. I mean, first of all, I think I should say that when you do get around to releasing your first death metal album, Mark, you should call it Fragments and Goop. Um, <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Um, you. you can have it. I made this yours. You can have it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, again, the, 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 big, the big issue you're going to have is with the distances of moving to and from places mm. and... Um, uh, with 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 surveillance more than anything, and although you've put on comedy glasses and uh, yeah. a, a big nose with a moustache attached to it and things like that, I think that eventually, unfortunately, those dots probably get put together. Yeah, yeah, but I do like it, and I I I, I, I do do like the concept that you, you you're going to go mad on the corpse for a for <laughs> yeah. for, a, for a good while. Yeah. Um, Personally, that 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 part sounds fairly difficult and a bit icky. Um, yeah. yeah, and you know, there's uh, there's some some things that even bleach won't clean. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> You've reached a similar conclusion that, than than our listeners did. So, I guess uh, this one I got to give this one to you, Corey. Well done, congratulations. Thank you. Thank in you. A way. I shall um, take the win gracefully, but thank you for um, for. <laughs> answering this for us that's been going for now i think like a year officiating as it were <laughs> yes <laughs> it's very, very uh, but listen all all that that remains is sincerely and i mean it sincerely for us to both to thank you for giving us your time on this one ben it's been that's fine you've added a level of insight and context and empathy to some of the stuff mm. that we've only spoken about in the abstract over the past couple of years so this has been utterly invaluable thank you uh, look that's absolutely great and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and I, I i think your point there about 
there being a degree of empathy in these mm. situations is is so important because it's so easy to look at the front page of the Sun newspaper or something yeah. like that, and you know they'll have sensationalist headlines, psycho killer, depraved person, blah 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 mm. blah. But at the centre of it is usually an individual who's usually had the most awful time of existence that has yep. accumulated in them doing something absolutely terrible and mm. those people probably shouldn't have been in the position that they were to have done that in the first place but crikey if we can try and pick up the pieces a little bit and um, help them and and reduce the risk to themselves and to society in general that's kind of one of the guiding principles i suppose in mm. in what i do so it's it, it's it's good for you to be able to reflect on that and um you know not it's not just about the gore and the whore, sensationalism of it all it's yeah. it, mm -hmm. it, 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 there are people at the center of all of this beautifully put yeah absolutely wonderful thank you so much this has been fantastic everything we hope for and more mm -hmm. <laughs> cheers yep, that's great once again as always thanks very much indeed for listening uh you are as always the fucking reason why we make the cast that we do uh, we'll catch you all next week thanks very much indeed and by all means stay spooky do it <laughs>